Hi guys, welcome to the Art of Acquisitions podcast. Here we discuss how you can create cash flow and grow your wealth with acquisitions. We have a great guest lineup, including Craig. Craig bought two businesses with 10 million in sales, no money down. And Alan, Alan has led multiple deals ranging in value from 1 million to 9 billion. Yes, that was right, 1 million to 9 billion. Art of Acquisitions, simply the fastest strategy to create cash flow and grow your wealth. Anyway, ladies and gents, uh, welcome to the Art of Acquisitions podcast. We're here again. We absolutely have the uh, privilege and pleasure of having Roland Frazier on the podcast. Welcome, Roland. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for coming. Why I'm so excited to have Roland on is he is uh, an artist of the deal. Uh, Roland's a lawyer, he's an accountant, he's a tax strategist, and he's a transactional-led serial entrepreneur who's done a number of deals. He's bought, scaled, sold, uh, quite importantly, uh, deals with revenue from, I think, $3 million to in the billions, which is pretty cool. 4.3 billion is where our top performing company is right now. 4.3, fantastic. I think he's a lover of Rolls Royces and private jets, uh, beautiful suites whenever he travels, uh, fine wines and expensive cognacs. So uh, a man with a lot of uh, travel experiences is always somebody good to have a chat with to find out where is a great place to go on your next holiday. Uh, so Eddie, welcome. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the show. And uh, what I'd like to start off with, if you don't mind, is, you know, I, I like to try and, you know, give some value. Uh, that's why we get guests on. Like yourself, we've got massive experience to the viewers uh, and listeners of the podcast. And I always like to start with the first deal because a lot of people are starting out in life and acquisitions, obviously for me, hands down, is the single quickest way to grow your wealth, acquisitions. So when was your first deal rolling and how did you get into that? You know, it's a really good question. It's been so long. I, I truly don't remember what the first was, but I know early on um, I was involved in real estate. And so that's kind of that's kind of where I cut my teeth to these things. And then it just kind of uh, led on to other things. There was a machine manufacturing company um, that, uh, that we acquired um, back in the, uh, say, late 80s-ish. And um, no, actually mid 80s. And uh, so that was probably the first one. That was the first one where I got involved with the people up in New York that were doing leverage buyouts and things like that. Um, I had done some things before that, but I'd say that's probably the first big deal that i did uh, and that was way uh is that back in the 80s 90s where that was back in the 80s yeah back in the 80s yeah um we're pushing we're pushing 40 years now on these things right 35 40 years kind of crazy yeah we'll be um i'll be at the hell in a while as well but i leverage bio is that something you know i i kind of do and i love those kind of deals um not for everybody um but <laughs> is when that kind of really, you know, uh, became famous, as opposed with the KKRs, you know. KKR when yeah, RJR Nabisco, that was the, at the time, the biggest transaction ever, 25 billion. Then uh, I think that was Barbarians at the Gate was written about that, right? It's, uh, and after that, it was just all bets are off and it just took off. Yeah, it went a bit crazy, but uh, great to hear. Bought, bought the book, watched the movie. It was absolutely fantastic to see what really goes on behind these larger deals. But, you know, for somebody starting out, you know, um, you know, one of your bigger deals, what would your advice be around, you know, here's a bigger deal in terms of how to approach it, how to conduct yourself 
um, to try and get in, you know, scale up. You know, if you're trying to scale up into the next deal, like we're looking at one just now, it's not huge for years, but it's about 25 mil. Um, you know, and, and that, to a certain extent, takes a certain type of psychology, you know, to kind of approach these things. What would your advice be to someone who's just doing, you know, maybe done a few deals and want to really scale up to get to the 10, 20 mil kind of thing? I mean, it's it, it actually, I think, gets easier because it's more professional when um, when you get higher up and you're, you know, you're typically dealing with more sophisticated sellers that maybe have exited before the management team might have done that. Um, you've got a better financial accounting system and um, and and on both the buyer and seller side, the P, if, if the people have done multiple deals, then it's it's actually, I think, easier and faster. And um, when you're in the smaller area, it's, um, you know, you get into business brokers versus investment bankers. They're typically less experienced, very fractionalized, disorganized, not nearly as professional as a rule. Some of them are great. Um, the, you know, the creativity to, to accomplish deals is important at all levels. And so, you know, the, the nice thing about big deals is that they're not much more trouble to do than little deals. And, um, and you can make a whole lot more money, which is why that's where there's so much competition. So the downside is that you're much more likely, if you're not sourcing deals yourself, you're much more likely to be in a bidding situation with very sophisticated, well-funded competitors in private equity as strategic acquisition companies, SPACs, and things like that. And you're not usually, if you're sourcing the deals in the smaller level, it's below the level that they want to play at. And um, you know while you have more seller challenge issues to deal with. Um, you don't generally have the competition, so you can acquire at better valuation multiples. And I take it you go, you're a direct vendor all the time, into, or is it just through relationships, really? So never on the broker's kind of, um, you know, roll, kind of Rolodex. Well, I, I can wait from them. I have done deals with brokers, I've got to say, but uh, right now we're all direct to vendor um, as asset price inflation seems to be, you know, going in the wrong direction. So... Mm -hmm. For me, that's an absolute no-brainer. What about yourself? What's your experience mean? Because you've obviously, you know, you're involved in a deal at 4.3 billion. That's that's fairly chunky. <laughs> As the famous song on Madagascar goes, I like them chunky. So how do you, you know, in terms of direct to vendor, how do you get into that kind of you know transaction at that kind of size? Is that where you're brought in? You're known and you're brought in to do a specific thing? Or you no, um, I think the key is that you, you've got to put yourself, you know, it's, it's the Wayne Gretzky thing. You've got to figure out where the puck is going and skate in that direction, not where it is right now. So I think what you have to do, and, and this is really what private equity has done um, over the last several years, is you've got to really have a deal sourcing program, you know, that you've got in place and you've got to figure out how do I get now today with the companies that are going to be the companies I'll want to acquire tomorrow? How do I build those relationships? And so one of the best ways to do it is through a mastermind. We've got several of those in different verticals where we get successful people who are entrepreneurs that own companies together and share best practices to grow. And this, the, that deal that you mentioned that came directly out of one of those. And, um, you know, you, you end up, getting to know people, doing things socially with them, and then having um, an eye on their growth. And then as they get to the point where they're starting to think about exit, you know, yeah. you're the natural person that, they, that they'll reach out to because you're the one that they know that has that experience. And so then you get to be there first. And whether it's as a coach to kind of coach them through the process, 
um, and to receive some sort of, you know, compensation for helping with that to, you know, earlier, even than that, getting equity in the company, either as an investor or in exchange for consulting or advisory services. And then you are plugged in at that point. So nobody, nobody, anybody that you deal with, even if it's an investment banker that gets brought in, um, you know, they, they, you're the person that's heading all of those communications and you're the one that everybody's looking to for guidance on what makes sense to do. So I think it's just getting plugged in early and that's going to happen through networking more than anything else. If you're a business owner, professional or SaaS pension trustee, and you want to stop the inflation erosion of your capital, you want to create cash flow and grow your retirement capital, but you just don't have the time. Do you want the baby without the labor pains? Then if you qualify, you may be able to invest with us. If that's you, pop along to taylorcapital.co.uk. We do the deals so you don't have to. It's kind of like the Netflix of investing. And, and you mentioned something quite interesting there, actually, well, quite a lot. But, um, you know, we're, we're talking about acquisitions here, but you went straight to, you know, when you're exiting. Because obviously, at the end of mind, and you don't want to get into something unless you can exit out to create a capital event in your life, which obviously makes sense. But, you know, in terms of, you know, business owners, we are dealing direct with them. And what would you be your best advice for somebody selling their business? It's a one-time event and you want to make it the best event possible. What would be your kind of top advice for a business owner trying to, you know, exit number one, but hopefully get paid for the rest of their life and get paid multiple times potentially? How would you, you know, what's your top go-to strategies for advising people like that that are exiting? Well, I think the the like the the biggest mistake I think people make is not having someone help them. That they basically someone approaches them, and then that's the person they do the deal with, and they're almost always going to be leaving twenty, thirty percent or more on the table um, than they than they would have had they gotten somebody to help them run a process of exiting. So I think that that the first thing is that the second thing is um, you should be planning an exit two to three years before you're actually ready to exit because it takes about that long to get everything to where you want it to be, to be able to maximize the value that you're going to receive when you exit and things have to be done differently. Um, really from an accounting standpoint, I mean, they're, they're not generally significant changes in like, um, in, in the way that you do things as much as the way that you account for them. And, um, that's a big deal. Just shoring up all of the you know, the things that are not professional about the business, being sure that you can remove yourself from the business, because, you know, if you don't do that, you're going to be on a multi-year contract to stay around after you've sold. And that, I haven't seen that go well very often. It's very difficult for somebody that's been in charge of their business for, you know, three to 25 years to, to then start taking orders from an MBA person that's put in charge as a portfolio manager. Uh, that generally leads to unhappiness. So it's better if you can you know, if you can remove yourself from the company, so you aren't required. Um, those, those, I think, are the real key points. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking to a number of business owners just now. All you know, been around for a while, two decades in the making, uh, well over a million uh, of profit, and uh, you know, none of them have thought about an exit plan. Which it really, it just bowled me over. It's, it's mm -hmm. You know, so direct to vendor marketing. We spoke to sixty-eight, and um, there's a number of deals on the table, but. You know, none of them had it. None of them understand, you know, tax implications of exiting their business uh, and how to, you know, potentially restructure your company or your corporate structure, you know, to be a, a bit, you know, for retention. Because retention yeah. is like two deals out of one deal, you know, if you're actually keeping more. And I, I was just blown away with this. So, 
you know, in terms of, you know, advising people, what would be your, your single go-to piece of advice for really, you know, forcing that capital appreciation of, of the value that's locked in your company? I mean, I don't think there is a single piece. It's it's really it's it's a multi-step program. There's there's several things that you need to do. The you know the the easy ones are you know identify the things that will affect valuation uh, the most, and then see which are the easiest ones that you haven't yet activated to go after those. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Hey, another great another interesting thing I think uh, I'd love to dive into for five minutes is you know IPOs you've you've taken a company public um and that's quite interesting because you know we're um hopefully going to start a REIT when we you know buy our first business and this new venture split the commercial from the business and a sale lease back uh, and then that'll be the kind of REIT that obviously you have three years to comply to go public um that's quite an exciting space, but I've never done it before. And when you've never done something before, it's kind of going into a room in a dark room <laughs> with a blindfold on. Uh, irrelevant how much research you do, you know, in my experience, when you get into the real world of doing something for the first time, shit goes wrong. <laughs> so tell us some insights from yourself taking a company public, the kind of things that, oh my goodness, I didn't realize about that. Or, you know, what kind of, what was your experience of that? Because that's obviously a new ground, potentially. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is a completely different world playing a completely different game. So it's, uh, you know, it's to me, it's not one that I want to be involved with because of the hassles and risks uh, that are associated with it. And it's something you really need people that 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 is what they do to help you out with it. Um, but uh, I mean, I'd say the biggest thing is I would avoid um, situations where you're reverse merging into something and you don't have good institutional market maker support to support the stock price because you'll get um, short sellers that will come in. And short sellers are people that basically sell, they borrow people's stock that hold it. They sell it today, hoping that the price will go down. And then some of them actively try to push the price down. Um, either through additional sales or through um, you know news releases about that are bad things about the company or the people involved and that sort of stuff. So I mean I think I think that people don't have an, any idea that that exists and that there are professional rings of these people that are out there doing that. So unless you're going with you know a company that's got about a hundred million in sales and you know significant EBITDA, it, it really is something I would stay away from. Um, certainly in the smaller markets, it, it can be a real challenge. And then when you do be sure that whoever you're going with, you know, has a lot of experience dealing with market makers and underwriters and is putting together a syndicate of support. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a significant and very expensive undertaking. And then you're going to be subject to all kinds of reporting requirements and regulation and your investors are going to need to be communicated with and you need to have continuing things that are going on that are good that you can let them know about to keep the stock price up because they get bored with it pretty quickly you know it's it's a it's a different game so for me i would rather buy in these smaller deals in the you know lower middle market they call it and then um and then flip them out to public companies or uh you know get my shares that way and kind of have that be the way that it happens as opposed to trying to do it myself yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about our plan just quickly after this, and because it's great to get your insights on it. Uh, and it's a combination of two things you just said there. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of come back to that. But um, what what is you know right now? What is the most financially exciting kind of deals that you're doing in terms of a 
you know, sector, a space or a strategy. And obviously, I, I, you know, you're, you're very much into the consulting for equity just now, which is a great uh, play. But what's your financially most exciting deal just now? Don't have to, obviously, not the details of the deal, but the kind of structure, the strategy, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd say um, like the, the ones that are most interesting to me are really good leverage deals. So I like we're doing a real estate roll up of real estate brokerages right now um, that that's pretty exciting because um, it's a very fractionalized industry. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. Um, and, and, uh, and many of those companies have done quite well. There's a lot of buyers uh, to flip that out to. So I, I like that market quite a bit franchises. I like also for the same reason, there's a lot of leverage. There's a lot of buyers. It scales quickly. It scales with other people's money because those people are investing. And as a matter of fact, the real estate business that we have, is franchised as well. So it's a franchise, it's a expansion through franchise and roll up strategy there. Um, there's another one in the um, home services industry. I like quite a bit. Um, that's, that's been a big, you know, a big, great market. There's one in the solar business right now. There's one in private jets and transportation. Um, those are probably the ones that right off the top of my head, or I would say are the, you know, the most exciting because they have they have the ability to go really, really fast. And so I'm, I'm interested in how do we get there as fast as possible? How do we get there faster? Absolutely. That sounds like a, a good game plan. And what about for somebody just starting out there in their acquisition or their wealth growth kind of journey? What, what would be your advice to somebody starting out in terms of trying to you know, get some traction quick? Well, I think it depends on, uh, do you have an existing business or not? If you have an existing business, then I think it makes sense to say, what do I need to solve for? Um, because acquisition's a great place to solve for the things that you want to either fix or the things that you want to use to expand in your company. So if you're looking to acquire more leads for your company than media, if you're looking to acquire more market share, then it's your, by your competitors. If you're looking to expand the infrastructure, then it's acquire and you know hire or acquire teams and resources. If it's you need to increase profits. It's vertically integrate up and down the supply and distribution chain. If it's, I need more innovation, then you acquire intellectual property or intellectual property companies. If you need to increase average order value, then you, you, you basically look for other companies that have products that your market is already buying before, during, or after the time they're buying your products. Or if you need to have um, increased um, like kind of a stability of cash and increase your lifetime customer value, then it's really look for recurring assets and recurring revenue opportunities that companies have. So that's the, if you own a business, if you don't own a business and you're looking to get started in it, then to me, you go through a process of establishing your acquisition criteria, which I think given the challenges of business and of the, you know, the dedication it takes to do this kind of thing, that it makes sense to do something that you're interested in. So I say, you know, what are my you know, what are the first category is, you know, what's my hip, my hobbies, inter, uh, interests and passions. Uh, right. Because if you're interested in something, then you're more likely to stick with it than if you're like, you know, I really hate uh, USB connectors and cables, but I'm going to go into that business because I think there's a big opportunity there. That's not going to, you're not going to be really excited to stick through the tough times there. Then you go and say, well, what are my um, superpower skills and experiences? And then match those things and say, how can my superpower skills and experiences help with the things that I'm doing over in the, um, you know, over in the hip 
section. And then you have to say, well, what's the income I want to make, which is going to establish what's the size of company you want to, you want to get. If you want to take home $10,000 a month and have $10,000 a month to, uh, or pounds or whatever to grow the company, then you need to be sure that it's got the profitability to support that. So that's, what's cool. You know, one thing that's neat about acquisitions that I don't know exists anywhere else is that like as an opportunity to go after there isn't any risk that you won't make the money you think you want to make because you're going to buy a company that's already making it and has a track record of having made it. So you get to decide what that is going mm-hmm. in. And then you have to obviously subtract out of that what's the cost of acquisition. But that's kind of a very unique opportunity that yeah. exists there. And then I'd go over and say, well, what's the industry that my hobbies, interests, and passions uh, would apply to that is likely to be the biggest opportunity. And, um, and if, I'm, if I can do that, then I mesh all of that together and say, now I've got an idea where I want to go. And that serves as a filter to the opportunities that come across so that you don't end up chasing a whole bunch of rabbits and never catching one. No, absolutely. Uh, who would ever want to start a company <laughs> instead of buying one? Uh, you just get there faster, like you, like you say. But once you've done your first acquisition and you really want to ramp it up with some traffic or new customers quick, you've got a, a quite a unique strategy of uh, buying um, you know, customers that are already somewhere else, like Facebook groups, for, for example, kind of thing that have your ideal customer in there. Like there's one Facebook group we're looking at just now that has our ideal customer in there. Uh, they're pension investors. Uh, and one of our things we do is we, we have a little private investor club and we're trying to help them grow, protect and scale their capital. So how would you go about buying a Facebook group? Because I heard, I'm not quite sure if the numbers are right, so correct me if I'm wrong, um, that you basically got a, a million followers in about, a, in about eight months or something. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I I did that in my own, um, uh, you know, on my own page for myself. That was just kind of a challenge to see how long would it take to get real people, not fake followers, because you can buy you could buy a million followers tomorrow. But to actually, you know, create content, put that content out there, pay to promote it and then actually have people come in and, and follow you. So, you know, that are that are targeted towards what you want. So that, that was, that was different. That was an acquisition of customers, but not like a one-time acquisition. So um, in terms of that, it, it was just recording content. Every meeting that I had, every person I would talk to, like if you and I are talking, you know, here or, or out at lunch or whatever, uh, making notes about the conversation of things that I thought we talked about that were interesting. And then at the end, doing a little summary video where I just took my iPhone and handed it to them and hit record and said, okay, I'm, you know, rolling here. I'm talking to, you know, uh, to Dan. And uh, we talked about a couple of cool things today. I'm going to grab the phone from Dan who's holding it right now. And then I'd spin it around. So there was no editing, no, no friction to me getting that up. That would be a, you know, two to five minute conversation. And then I would go on to um, Facebook. I would upload the, the video to my page. And then I would pay um, $10 a day for five days to promote it to the target audiences that I wanted, which were basically people that had business interests, entrepreneurship, that kind of thing, uh, that were located in English-speaking countries, um, you know, like the UK and Canada, USA, Australia were the primary places. Um, and then... Uh, and then that just, you know, that process of, uh, of doing that over a period of about eight months got me a, a million followers on that page, which was really cool. And then 
I was like, well, can I convert those, you know, into, into some sort of deal flow or something like that. And so I started holding little meetings uh, and I started the very first one was in Las Vegas in 2017. And um, I, and I think I only had about 40 or 50,000 followers uh, at that time. And um, I basically said, you know, getting together, it's $1,862, I think. Uh, to come and uh, it's only open to to 15 people and and I sold it out instantly and so that was kind of really cool so you know that was I think 26,000 or something like that dollars that yeah. came in from that I think I may have spent a total of about forty thousand dollars to uh, you know in those ten dollar ads over the eight months to get the million followers um, so that's a pretty good acquisition thing but then you know on the other hand if you're acquiring a group that already exists, you can have a million followers in a day and they are still um, great followers. They're not fake. They're, you've just acquired them from somebody that's taken the time to do that. And you might spend, you know, $1,500 or $5,000 to acquire a group like that. Um, or you might spend nothing out of pocket and pay them more than that over time or as a rev share or something like that. But then you've got access to all those people without having done all that work you know, that's, that's a way quicker way to go. So having done it both ways, I definitely think acquisition is, is faster, easier, and ultimately cheaper. Cause think about like, if I spent 40,000 to acquire those people over that period of time, if I spent 40,000 on an acquisition binge, I could probably have 10 million followers. Yeah. And what are the kind of metrics when you acquire a Facebook group? You know, uh, then- the only the things that we look at is, you know, how many people are in the group and how many are actively engaged? What's the reach? These are things that are on the administration dashboard when you uh, when you go into the group. So you know you might have a group that's got a hundred thousand people, and you know at any given time maybe there's sixty five hundred of them that are engaged. So that has a six point five percent engagement rank. So so I'm really looking at that to say, well, these are the people. Like I'm really not getting a hundred thousand people. I'm really getting about sixty five hundred people that are going to be paying attention and. 90 some thousand that have moved on. So if I've got a high engagement rate, like 25 or 30%, then that's, you know, that's more exciting because you can, you'll actually reach more people. So looking at the reach and the active people who are commenting and liking and things like that, that's, you know, that's really helpful. And is there any metrics in terms of what you, uh, what you would pay for, say the active part of that, say there's a hundred thousand, there's only 5,000 active yeah, they're typically selling for, you know, two to three cents per, um, you know, per user. So like, a, so that active number is more like just an indication of whether it's any good or not. Because if it's like 0.0002, then I'm not going to even mess with it. But wow. then if there's 100,000 people and, you know, let's say there's 15% that are active, then you typically would look at paying two to $3,000 for that group um, or one year's profit, whichever is more. And so, you know, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb, I think. So if they, if they had made $6,000, you know, in profit selling t-shirts or something like that, or using affiliate offers, and many of them have no monetization at all. Uh, if they had done that, then it would basically be either two or 3,000 under the two to three cent rule or 6,000 under the profit rule, you know, so you're still relatively inexpensive to acquire a large number of followers. Yeah, no, I think that's an incredible advice. You know, just what you said there is so simple. Million followers, eight months, doing content, meetings, grab a phone, summarize the cool points, 10 pound a day for five days. That's absolutely awesome. And then uh, on top of that, if you want to scale, then uh, obviously 
try and buy some Facebook groups. That's that's phenomenal uh, advice. Yet so simple as well. But it's you know if you just if you don't know, you don't know. And that's uh, what's wonderful. I suppose that's what experience is all about and what mastermind is all about. And you touched on something there that I think there's a great story behind, which is that first mastermind that you did in 2017 that you charged 1,862 bucks, um, which is an unusual amount to charge. Can you share why you charged that amount? Because <laughs> I think it's- yeah, a- I- I think it's always good to have a story behind what you are doing. And so I wanted to charge about $2,000, but I also wanted to have a story. And so it occurred to me that since this was a mastermind that I could sell based on a story of successful masterminds, I could have my price relate to that by determining the year that that mastermind started. And um, I could also have good authority by kind of tapping into the names of the people that were involved in that mastermind. So it turned out I did a lot of research and I found the years that several different famous masterminds started. And there was one, you know, there were some in the 400s and I was like, nah, that's not enough. And there were some, you know, more recent. And I was like, ah, those are too, too new. So I settled on um, Andrew Carnegie started a steel mill mastermind of steel mill owners uh, and manufacturers back in 1862. And so I was like, okay, well, that's pretty cool because now I've got Andrew Carnegie. I've got, um, you know, all of the power and success of that. And also he went on to do some other pretty cool things and it's close to 2000. It's not quite there. I wish it was, I wish he'd have done it in 1962, but he did it in 1862. So that was, uh, that was what I had to work with. So that was how I told the story, you know, this is a, masterminds are very powerful. Um, I'm doing something similar to what Andrew Carnegie did back in 1862 with the steel mill mastermind. It's $1,862 to come. Um, we're limiting it to 15 people because small is better when it comes to masterminds and we're going to do the following things. And then that was it. And it was two days at a, uh, at a boardroom in Las Vegas. I chose also the number based on what could I get a room for to do the event in without having to um, commit to food and beverage minimums and um, room blocks, which is hotels will require when you have larger gatherings. And so basically I got the room for, um, I think it worked out that we did several of them. The room cost anywhere from $500 a day to about a thousand a day. And then the audio visual to have a slide projector and the screen was another um, roughly eight hundred to a thousand dollars a day. So call it four thousand dollars, you know, to do that. Um, I traveled over. Um, one of my uh, top people came with me, and um, and we did, you know, we did that over a couple of days. So our total cost, and we bought lunch for them one day. So the total cost was maybe eight thousand dollars. But remember. I sold 15 seats at 1862. So whatever that adds up to, I think it's 26,000 something. You know, I had I had plenty to work with. So I wasn't out of pocket. Yeah. Uh, I actually had made a profit, which if I only was doing it for profit and I could make, you know, $15,000 a month, a lot of people would be like, you yeah, hey, 15 grand a month. That's that's pretty cool, right? Because I could do them every month. I, when I put this out there, by the way, I filled up four and a half groups in the first two days. So like it was when, as soon as I announced it, I had that. And then I did it for two years after that, um, really up until the pandemic and, um, and then had to move to an online, you know, online version, which ended up being much, much bigger. That's not cool. You've got some awesome people in the room for two days that, you know, obviously you got a chance to then connect and sell them something else. Uh, well, I did. And so those people, I, I was, you know, trying to figure out what to sell. And it was kind of funny too, because my business partner's 
were not really interested in this until I had it all set to go. And then they were like, you know, Hey, you know, we can come, which was great because, you know, it's like, it's like, good. I got you guys excited. And they're also very, very smart. So we were having dinner the night before it started. And, um, uh, and then we had dinner again the night after uh, the first day and was like, I was like, you know, I want to make an offer of something. Um, but I, you know, and I want it to be, I want it to be significant because they already paid roughly $2,000 to be here. So, um, so we offered a $30,000 mastermind and we offered a $100,000 advisory and we ended up to the 15 people and they were, you know, they were qualified people. They all had businesses that were doing pretty well, but, um, we ended up selling four of the $30,000 masterminds. So that was 120,000 plus four of the hundred thousand dollar advisories. So we ended up with, you know, about a half million dollars in sales to the group of very small people. So, and that's the other, you know, another real insightful thing to know is that you don't have to have a thousand people or 10,000 people come to an event for it to be very, very profitable. And that was those hundred thousand packages was a hundred thousand plus 3% of the company. So like we acquired effectively from the four people, 12% interest in, you know, in a company or 3% interest in four companies. So it was pretty cool. You got paid to hold an event where you made five, half a million pound profit. Uh, and at the same time, you, you opened a private equity house. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty good. And then, you know, we were like, well, that was lucky. You know, that could probably never happen again. So I went into the second one, um, you know, like, all right, we'll see what, you know, this is a good luck, you know, beginner's luck first time. And darned if it wasn't about the same. It ended up being, you know, but wow. uh, everyone we did ended up being between, because yeah. I, I think I did maybe... 20, 25 of these things. Uh, and I did it across industries too. So I started in the, um, just general, like kind of business and marketing. And then, um, I partnered with, uh, Frank Kern to do it in the consulting area. And then I partnered with Kent Clothier to do it in the real estate area. And all of them did about the same between 300,000 and $600,000, um, per event. And then they were all marketed exactly the same way. And um, it was pretty, pretty fun. I think the, the interesting thing about that, and we'll just close out soon as is, and I will try to keep it for kind of half an hour, but the, the interesting thing is no matter where you are in your journey, I mean, you're obviously incredibly experienced, done a ton of deals, but somebody who's closed their first deal could do the same thing because they're one step removed from somebody who hasn't done their first deal. And I think that's quite exciting, isn't it? And it's uh, events are pretty profitable, or so I hear. I am a big fan of events. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I, but I like people, right? So I like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I would consider myself kind of a hybrid, um, you know, introvert, uh, because I'm not like, if you put me in a room full of people, I'm not going to go around shaking everybody's hands, introducing myself. I'm probably going to hang out in the corner and observe. Um, but, um, I do like people. So like when I can get in a one-on-one or a one-on-few situation, then I, you know, I like finding out, I'm curious about other people's businesses and I have, you know, some experience to bring to the table so I can always have a good conversation with them. So like, I'm not, the event thing works really well for me, especially because I'm not going to meet these people otherwise. I'm going to be, you know, if I'm going to another person's event, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out and I'll talk to people, but I'm not, you know, Hey, how you doing? You know, that's just not my, not my style, you know. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And um, Roland, it's been an absolute pleasure that, um, 
golden nuggets in there are coming thick and fast. And I'm going to take action right after this on one piece of your advice, which is to get my phone out and do a summary of the golden nuggets that from our conversation. So thank you for that. I think that's a great piece of advice. And then stick 10 bucks a day and see what happens. Who knows? <laughs> it, it, it works. <laughs> it works. Uh, and then we're going to be hunting for some uh, Facebook groups. But um, anyway, thank you so much for coming. I'd love to have you on again at some point. Um, so, gents, ladies and gents back home, I would watch this again, take some notes, and then actually take some action on that, especially what he, he just said there. You know, a million followers in eight months, content, put some, uh, you know, meetings, grab a phone, summarize it, and just put, you know, some small ad spend behind it, and then start yeah. going. And I, I talk about this stuff all the time. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find forward slash Roland Frazier on uh, all the social media and have a business lunch podcast. And, uh, you know, whether it's TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, uh, it's, it's good to have a presence. And so, um, you know, I put content up regularly to help people. And I think that's a big thing too, is, you know, when you're doing those takeaways or you're having those meetings and you're putting it up, don't just pick one place, you know, put it everywhere, repurpose that content so that it can be used across all the different social medias, you know, particularly Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and YouTube. You know, I think those are very critical platforms to be on. No, that's fantastic. I really appreciate that. And all the links for Roland's uh, various social media will be below. So if you want to check him out, follow him. And I would seriously strongly suggest you do because he's a man with experience and he's always dropping golden nuggets daily on his social media. So Roland, thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure.